You're listening to the Keep Going Podcast, where we keep going after the heart of God because He's our only hope. I'm Nika Maples. Welcome to episode 54 of the Keep Going Podcast. I have a series for you. This is the five-step process that I take at the beginning of every year to create brand new spirit-led goals for myself. I think one of the reasons that so many people have New Year's resolutions that just don't work, that they start in January and drop long about March is because they haven't put a lot of thought into it. We feel compelled to make a random list of goals. Um, and then there's not a foundation underneath it and all of those things topple quickly. So let me walk you through the preliminary thinking that I go through in advance of achieving a goal. When I say that there was a five-step process to this, I really mean it because I walk through these five steps and I have done it for 26 years. In the final episode at the end of this series, I'm going to share with you exactly what prompted me to start doing it this, this way. I can't wait to share that with you. But today's episode, let's just dive right in. It's called Step 1. How to Stop Beating Yourself Up. Okay, we're going to dive in. You're going to want to take notes on this because I believe I have something to share with you today that not only will be a blessing to you personally, but you're going to take this and bring it elsewhere. When the Lord reveals something to your heart, it's always so that it can expand so that there is a ripple effect in his kingdom you're going to take what you learned today, apply it to yourself, and then you're going to bring healing elsewhere. You're going to bring this to other people when you see them struggling. Are you ready? Okay, we're going to start with a warm-up question. I would like for you to put in the comments a few statements that you would categorize as beating yourself up. That's kind of a, a vague term. What does beating yourself up mean? This is not an admission that you do these things or that you say these things, but things that you may have heard other people say, just anything that you would categorize as beating yourself up. You should be further along by now, Pamela says. Any kind of self-talk, KL says. Kathy, why do they not like me? All negative thinking, yeah. You should be over this by now. You can't do that. These are great. It is exactly what I was meaning when I was talking. Why are you doing this again? Why am I so defective? I'm just lazy. Oh, <laughs> you guys. Then we're on the same wavelength because I wanted to make sure that I was communicating with you what I meant by beating yourself up. This is it right here. All of these statements. Okay, today, I'm going to give you some freedom from those kinds of statements. Oh, wow. Even more are still coming in. I don't belong here. What do I do to make people like me less than they like so-and-so? What am I doing that's making people like me 
less than they like so it's oh you guys tune in and pay attention because at the end of this lesson you will be able to stop yourself with reliable strategies when you start to beat yourself up most often i hear people when i travel and speak or i minister in churches or wherever i am i most often hear this statement what do I do if I hate myself? Men come to me with this. Women come to me with this. Adolescents come to me with this of any age. What do I do if I hate myself? If I were coaching you and you came to me and you said, I hate myself, I would say this. Your mind is in a rut. That's it. Your mind is in a rut. This is nothing to be terrified of. It's just that your mind is in a rut. Do you know how easy it is for our minds to get in a rut? I'm going to show you something. This is not major science here. I'm going to teach it in an oversimplified way. But your brain is created to be a wonder. And your limbic system, which is kind of like the heart of your brain, We'll, we'll say this is your limbic system. It's folded in the middle of your brain and it leads to your brain stem and to your spinal cord. That is fully developed at infancy. When you are born, your limbic system is fully developed. That's your habit brain. It's what you do without thinking. It's your autopilot for all your systems. But then the rest of your brain develops. This is a brain right here. And this part right here is the prefrontal cortex. That is where you make your most important decisions. But the rut happens here in the heart of the brain. And if you can figure out a way to make some good decisions that you can teach your habit brain to adopt, then you'll be in a different rut. Instead of being in the rut of, I hate myself, I hate myself, I hate myself. You'll be in a new rut. That's what I'm teaching you today. I'm going to teach you new things to teach your prefrontal cortex. And with your prefrontal cortex, the decision maker of your brain, you are going to tell your limbic system what to believe and what to do. It's kind of like if you think of an airplane well, there's an engine in an airplane that takes it somewhere, but the pilot has to tell it where to go. So the pilot is the prefrontal cortex, okay? The limbic system is the, in, is the engine. And the engine is not good or bad. The engine just goes. If you can train your brain to think new thoughts until the engine starts taking you to new places, then you'll be in a different kind of rut, a positive one, one that produces good things in your life. Self-doubt, you see, is nothing but a comfortable habit. And we would say self-doubt is uncomfortable. That's not true because humans never do things that are uncomfortable. You wouldn't put your hand on um, a burner, a stove burner, and leave it there, you remove it when it's uncomfortable. If you have a rock in your shoe, you take that out because it's uncomfortable. All kinds of things that cause discomfort, we move away from. 
So there's something about self-doubt that is comfortable for you or you would not stay there. What is comfortable about self-doubt? It's familiar. You're not sure what self-confidence, total self-confidence would feel like, so it's easier to stay with what's familiar, doubting yourself. But here's the thing. This is not the way it has to be. I told you, you can create a new rut. You can create a new familiar. And once the new familiar becomes what's comfortable, that's where you'll stay. You can train your brain through decisions made ahead of time, what to do when you are in situations when you don't even have time to make a decision. Your limbic system takes over. You know, I told you this was developed in infancy. And your prefrontal cortex is not fully developed until you're 25 years old. So maybe if you're watching this and you're younger than 25, you'd be like, what hope do I have? I'm like, you have all the hope in the world. You can start training your brain now before it's even fully developed. But here's the thing. If you're, if you're middle-aged like I am, if you're 46, then it's possible or even older, it's possible that your limbic system has been calling the shots for a long, long time. So train your prefrontal cortex now with decisions that will take root, take effect, and begin to bless you as you become more and more familiar with what I, yes, I called it self-confidence, but it's really God confidence. When you become most comfortable in a state of God confidence, then self-doubt will feel uncomfortable and you'll take your hand off the stove. Self-confidence will feel familiar and self-doubt will feel like a rock in your shoe. You'll just stop. So right now, let me tell you how to recognize that rock in your shoe. Admit that you can experience anything and decide not to operate from it. That's the beginning of recognizing the rock in your shoe, those thoughts that you don't want. You can experience something and decide not to operate from it. Let me give you an example. Sometimes people say, if they're, if they're in a habit of overeating, and then they maybe eat when they are not hungry and they say, I just can't help it. I mean, I ate five cupcakes today and I just couldn't stop myself. This is what I would say. You could stop yourself if you had a good enough reason. Because if that cupcake were the last piece of food on the earth and your child walked up and was hungry, it wouldn't matter what you felt. You could experience hunger, not only experience the desire to eat that cupcake, you could experience real hunger and you wouldn't operate from it. You would give that cupcake to your child that was hungry instead of you. You wouldn't operate from that hunger. And I wonder if you would overcome your feelings to help yourself if you chose to love yourself. If you loved yourself, as much as you loved an innocent child, then you would overcome feelings to help yourself. You can experience self-doubt and do something else instead. You can experience disdain toward yourself and do something else instead. You don't have to operate from it to hold yourself back. So changing the way you treat yourself is only a matter 
of definitions and decisions. I think there's only two definitions you have to get straight, only two, to, to change the way that you treat yourself. The key definitions are failure is the first one. What does failure mean? So remember how I said you can feel something and not operate from it? You can decide what failure means to you. You can redefine it. And that's what I'm going to teach you to do right now. Because my definition of failure is failures are bricks on the stairs to success. You can't know how many failures I've had in my life. You cannot know. One time I took out a $10,000 bank loan to start a business that I never earned $1 from. Not $1. And I had to pay the whole $10,000 loan back and the business never really even started. That was a failure. And so I finally decided, wait a second. I, if I keep being afraid of failure, if I keep thinking that failure means I messed up, that failure means I didn't accomplish what I could have. If I, if I meant that all of these things are painful to me, failure is a painful thing to me that I'm never going to get anywhere. And so I think of failures as whenever I, oh, well, that business didn't work. Brick! <laughs> I bricked it! Well, you know what? Each brick is adding on top of the next one because the mistake I made in 1996, I did not make in 1997. I made a better one, a better mistake. I made a better mistake in 2006. I made a better mistake in 2007. And each brick, each mistake taught me something I wouldn't have learned any other way. Taught me who I could trust and who I couldn't. Taught me things that I was willing to continue doing and things that I should have stopped. It taught me so many things about myself. And they have improved and improved and improved the way I've done things. They were steps on the staircase to success. Here's a different person, Thomas Edison. Let's all think he, he's fairly successful, don't you think? We owe him the light bulb. But this is the way he defined failure. I have not failed. I've just found 10,000 ways that won't work. If you define failure like that, you'll keep going. If you define failure not as something painful, not meaning that you've um, abandoned yourself, not meaning that you have not accomplished, not meaning that you didn't meet the expectation, but instead meaning you've just found a couple ways that didn't work, then the definition of failure changes how you feel about failure. How about this definition? I don't think of it as failure. I think of it as time-released success. So the sooner you get to failing, the sooner you're going to experience success. If failure is time-released success, then the sooner you get to failing, the sooner you will experience that success. Again, it all comes back to definitions. So when people come to me and they say, I'm afraid of failure, this is what I would say in return. If you are afraid of failure, it is because you are afraid of yourself. See, because when I failed with that business, it totally tanked. Nobody did anything. Like, nobody made fun of me. Nobody ridiculed me. All I had to do was pay back money I borrowed. And nobody, um, there, there were, I didn't experience anything negative except self-talk. 
that was the only result of my failure. Some things maybe I didn't want to do, but it was just the self-talk. Any of the other failures that I've experienced with books that didn't sell or manuscripts that weren't picked up by a publisher or any of those other failures, nobody ever really did anything except me. And I realized the only consequence I meet in the face of failure is my own voice. Nobody is going to focus on me except me. And if I make myself pay a lifetime price for failure, no wonder I'm unwilling to fail. If I make myself pay a lifetime price for failure, no wonder I'm afraid of it. I would suggest that you find a new definition of failure so that you could find a new way of talking to yourself when you do fail. Then you will get to failing more often and you will get that much closer to success. I now, I celebrate failures. I try to have at least five failures a month. I have a little jar where I keep a little stone. I put a stone, oh, I called that person and they said no to the business proposition I gave them. So stone in the jar, failure. I'm only that much closer to a success. If I send out an email and nobody tells me that it was meaningful, a failure. Yay, that much closer to success. You can celebrate failures and start speaking to yourself better when you fail. By avoiding failure, you are avoiding something that you have control over. You're the one who controls how you speak to yourself when you fail. And like I said, if you're avoiding failure, it's because you're, if you're afraid of failure, it's because you're afraid of how you're going to talk to yourself when you fail. You have complete control over that. You can decide how you talk to yourself when you fail. And you can decide right now. I'm going to decide that failure is great. Failure is a brick on my way to success. So when I fail, I'm going to say good things to myself, not negative things. Now, let's look at the second definition you have to get in place in order to move past beating yourself up. You gotta figure out how to talk to yourself about failure and you gotta figure out about unconditional love. Now, the definition to unconditional love is kind of like attached, okay? Unconditional. That means there's no condition. There's no reason that anyone can earn this love. That's what unconditional means. But I would say, I would venture to say, Friends, we're giving the wrong definition to unconditional love. We're making ourselves earn love. We're not offering unconditional love to ourselves. We're saying, yeah, well, when you meet these things, then I'll love you. When you do this right, then I'll love you. When you're likable and people enough people like you, then I'll love you. When you can keep the house clean, then I'll love you. When you can, um, you, you name it, we create a list of conditions and that leaves us earning love from ourselves. But the definition of unconditional love is you're going to love yourself even if you don't meet your own conditions. The definition of unconditional love should be, must be, 
if you're going to stop beating yourself up, the definition of unconditional love has to be that you're going to love yourself even if you don't meet your own conditions. So you can stop trying to earn unconditional love from yourself because it's just something you give yourself. And when you start giving unconditional love to yourself, you'll be better equipped to give it to other people. So this is what I would say to you. This is what I say to myself. How do I give myself unconditional love? I say, God has asked me to love and care for this tiny piece of his creation. So at times when I'm thinking, oh, I'm just so mad at myself and I start feeling like I don't love myself, I say, hold on. God has asked me to love and care for this tiny piece of his creation. I get to take care of Mika Maples. That's who I get to take care of. And there are a lot of people who want to take care of the whole world. We want to worry about the environment. We want to worry about animals. And sometimes the same people who are so worried about taking care of big parts of God's creation don't even know how to take care of the tiniest part he asked. And so I would say if you're taking care of, if you have an interest in the big parts of God's creation, that's great. But he also asked you to take care of this tiny part, this tiny part. You get to take care of you. He gave you to yourself. He said, hey, here we have this whole span of history, tons of creation, places you'll never see on the globe. I made all of it. But what I want you to take care of is you. A little tiny piece. I just want you to really, really love this piece. Really, really care about this piece. And you get to take care of you. God trusts you with you. Trusts you to take care of you because no one else knows how to be you like you do. Can you let that be mind blowing to you for a second? That you get to make those decisions. And if you're going to make the best ones for yourself about who you're going to hang out with and who you're not going to hang out with, all of that will be better if you operate from the God confidence of one who knows, wait a second, God believed I could do this. So much that he gave the entirety of me to me. How you define failure and unconditional love will ultimately define you. If you start defining failure as success, if you start defining love as something that can't be earned, it will redefine you. You realize that, don't you? You realize that. Look at this picture of a toddler. No one among us would fault a toddler if it fell. If that toddler fell after, and, and you might make an excuse and say, well, they're just learning how to walk. So of course they fall. I've been doing life for a while and I'm still making mistakes. Look, it doesn't, that's not something you have, have to figure out. You just have compassion on the one that is taking steps. And that person is you. So this toddler, when it falls, we never criticize it. We never um, berate him or her. We never are rude or unkind to a toddler who falls. Instead, we say, that's keep going, get back up. And what is interesting about the body is 
That's how the toddler gets strong enough to walk. It's not the walking that makes the toddler strong. It's the getting up after falling. Because when the toddler pushes up or stands up, he or she exercises muscles that would not be exercised any other way. It's the getting up that strengthens, I mean, pushing up entire body weight that strengthens that toddler enough to continue walking. When you do that after failure, that's what makes you stronger. This is biblical. Look what Paul says in this very familiar verse. Each time God said to me, my grace is all you need. My power works best in weakness. So Paul says, now I am glad to boast about my weaknesses so that the power of Christ can work through me. That's why I take pleasure in my weaknesses and in the insults, the hardships, the persecutions, and the troubles that I suffer for Christ. For when I am weak, then I am strong. Just to really drive this home, let's try it this way. Each time God said to me, my grace is all you need. My power works best in failure. So now I am glad to boast about my failures so that the power of Christ can work through me. That's why I take pleasure in my failures and in the insults, in the COVID, in the political debates, in the racial troubles. For when we fail, when we fail, then we are strong. Do you see it's getting back up with the help and the power of Jesus that we are made strong? So why would we avoid that opportunity? My friends, may we be strengthened as we learn with Paul to take pleasure in failures. For when we fail, then we're strong. Hate never leads to change. You need to know that. If we started off with the thought, I hate myself, the only reason someone says I hate myself is because they want to change. But hate never leads to change. Ever. Ever. Trust me. So you may say, well, I hate my house. So that's, you think that so that you will change. That's not going to work. You may say, I hate my body. A lot of women say, I hate my body. Thinking that if you hate it enough, you'll change it. But hate never leads to change. Never. You could say, I hate my job. And thinking that you hate it enough is going to make you change. I, I don't think so. I think that you'll walk right into another job that you hate just as much. Because hate never leads to change. Do you know what leads to change? <laughs> Learning. Learning leads to change. Today you're learning, and I believe it will lead to change. So then that makes me ask, what leads to learning? Well, I learned as a teacher one thing. One thing. Love is the only way anyone learns. Love is the only way that anyone learns. So, you know, trying to force students to learn doesn't work. <laughs> you love them. And as you love them, they learn. And learning leads to change. So right now, I hope you're experiencing the love that I have for you. Just exactly where you are. 
Because as I love you, I believe you're going to learn from me, and learning leads to change. So let's take a look at this passage with Peter walking on water. Such a famous passage, but there's a little something special here I want to dig out with you guys. So Peter went over the side of the boat and walked on the water toward Jesus. But when he saw the strong wind and waves, he was terrified and began to sink. Save me, Lord, he shouted. Jesus immediately reached out and grabbed him, grabbed him, and he said, You have so little faith. Why did you doubt me? A couple things in this verse. One, Peter looked at the wind and waves. But do you realize that Jesus did not even mention the wind and waves? It's like the wind and waves were supposed to be there. Jesus didn't say, I could have made the waves stop. Or I was just about to make the waves stop. It's almost like the wind and waves were part of the whole scenario. Like all the stuff that we've been through this year, the wind and the waves. What if that was just part of the scenario of walking on water? It's not like we need it to go away. We just need to focus on Jesus during it. And so when... Peter called out the second immediately. It says immediately. Jesus didn't go. Hmm. When Peter said, oh, save me, Lord, save me. Jesus didn't go, oh, come on. Really? He immediately reached out. But this is what he said. Why did you doubt me? Self-doubt is really doubting the Lord. Because we're made in his image. And he chooses to dwell within us. Those two facts alone means that self-doubt is really directed at him, not us. Because, one more time, we're made in his image. And also, he chooses to dwell in us with the Holy Spirit. So to doubt ourselves after Knowing those two things is really to direct our doubt at him. Self-doubt was not what sank Peter. It was his doubt in the Lord. And yeah, I guess if somebody had interviewed Peter, he would have said, I saw the wind and the waves and I doubted myself. That's the way he would have answered that Jesus knew the real source of his doubt. He said, I was here all the time. And I said, come to me. Just before this Jesus had said, come to me, Peter. Come to me. He said, if I invited you to come, it's because I knew you could do it. (laughs) Why did you doubt me? In Genesis, God creates the earth. And after each thing he creates, he says, that is good. That is good. But when he creates mankind, he adds an adjective, an adverb. He adds an adverb. Good is the adjective. I'm an English teacher. So he has an adverb. He says, this is very good. Not only is this good, all the rest of my creation is good. But humans, and if you're looking in the mirror, you're feeling the thought, I hate myself after God has said that you are very good. I think you're sinking and God's question as he reaches out immediately to save you is, I 
said you were good. Why did you tell me? God says you're very good. If you say anything other than that, you are out of alignment with him. So here are all the blessings. It's a water, this is not just my hand. It's a waterfall of blessings. It's a waterfall of blessings coming from heaven. And everyone who stands under it gets to feel the blessings of heaven. Well, in order to receive the blessings, you have to be in alignment with what God says. If you stand over here, you're out of alignment. And you shouldn't expect that any blessings would land on you. It's not because God doesn't love you. It's not because God has changed. He's still downpouring the same amount of blessings he always was. You just moved. If you get back into alignment with him, you say, I agree with God when he says I am very good. Now, I know that may feel unfamiliar. And at first, the unfamiliar feels like discomfort. And the familiar, which is your self-doubt, that's what feels like comfort. Don't believe it. Decide to believe instead that this right here, staying in alignment with God, believing that he says, I'm good, so I'm good. I'm not flawed. I'm not flawed. I'm not. He made me. There's not something wrong with me. He said, I'm very good. There's nothing wrong with me. I'm not... I'm not broken. God says I'm very good. You will start receiving the blessing of that belief because you're in line with, with God. And it will become the new familiar. So if you look in the mirror and you choose to see the good that God sees, I believe you'll more and more often be the good that he sees. You'll act out of it. You'll start operating from that God confidence. So I told you there were some key definitions. And there are some key decisions that have to happen if you're going to stop beating yourself up. Key definitions, failure, and unconditional love. You'll remember those. Key decisions, there's a few of them. You might want to write them down. If you don't want to write them down right now, you can watch the replay, fast forward, buffer, slide the bar to write them down because these are not as easy to remember, but they're just as important. So if you find yourself saying, I can't stop the negative voice in my head, if you're finding yourself saying this, then my response to you is, you get better at the things you intentionally practice. I mean, you know that's true. With anything else, but it's funny with thoughts, we don't want to think that applies. If you want to get better at anything, you name it, you know that you get better at the things that you intentionally practice. I'm here to tell you, thinking is no different. You can choose to think in a different way about yourself and it's going to take intentional practice. So write these down either now or later so that you can intentionally practice these thoughts. Intentionally practice the decision that every human being is valuable. Every human being is valuable and therefore you are valuable simply by being a human being. 
every human being is valuable. You decide that and then you operate from that, that therefore you are valuable. Number two, decide that you will speak with self-courtesy. This is along the same lines as the first decision. Because if somebody walked up to you and said, do you believe that every human being is valuable? You would say, yes, definitely. And you wouldn't want to give away the fact, all of them except for me. Like all the billions of humans are, are valuable except for me. You know that doesn't make sense. Here's another thing that doesn't make sense. Courtesy is not just for other people. If you're a courteous person, you're courteous all the time. Whoa. If you're a courteous person, you're courteous all the time even when you talk to yourself. So some of us tend to think that if we're out shopping or whatever, or we're interacting at the grocery store, we're nice and we're kind and we don't flip people off when we're driving and we don't yell when we, or honk when we, somebody parks or, you know, whatever. We're courteous, we're nicer than this guy over here that's doing such and such. But... We don't want anyone to know that we're not very courteous inside of our own heads. But we talk to everyone nice except ourselves. Well, you decide that's not okay anymore. It's not okay to be discourteous to myself. If I want to be a courteous person, I must be courteous 100% of the time. That means being courteous in your home to your family, just like you'd be courteous to strangers and even more intimate yourself because you know it's funny how the courtesy drops away the closer you get to someone's heart so strangers get the best of us but our friends sometimes see a little worse our families see the whole lot worse and then ourselves see the rock bottom and then God well thankfully he can take it but he sees the worst of all I'm glad, I'm glad that he loves us with unconditional love. It's setting a standard for us. We don't have to meet his conditions in order for him to love us. He just loves us. So you believe, I'm going to be courteous to myself. Speak with self-courtesy. Number three, just decide I have my own back no matter what. I actually say this to myself out loud. If I'm nervous about going to do something, I'm like, hey, you know what? I have my own back no matter what. Even going on this uh, Facebook Live right now, sometimes I feel self-conscious about Facebook Lives. I'm like, is anyone going to even watch this? Does anyone even pay attention? What, what if I mess up my slides? What if I misspell something? What if the camera goes out? What if, what if, what? And I go, wait, wait, wait. Hey. I have my own back no matter what. So things can happen, and I'm still going to have my own back. I don't care if anybody else has my back, because I have my back. I am going to be good to myself. I'm going to take care of myself. I'm not going to talk ugly to myself, no matter what happens. Number four, decide that you will control yourself, not your circumstances. The wind and waves that Peter saw, he had no power to change that, so why was he even looking at it? The wind and waves that Peter saw, he had no power over that. So why was he even looking at it? He needed to just control himself, to focus on his own faith, 
to focus on his own belief in Jesus, to focus on the invitation and the calling of Jesus. But what we're doing right now, we're looking around, looking around at everything that's going wrong and everything that should be different. And God's like, um, I control the wind and waves. I, I, I do. Not you. I do. I decide when they, when I allow them to happen. This is going to be a hard pill to swallow. Every single thing that has happened ever has been something that he has allowed. He allowed all of this. Because if he didn't, if you tell yourself he didn't, he never would have allowed this. Then he's not God. He's omnipotent. He has total power to stop anything he wants to stop. He's also omniscient. He has total knowledge of everything before it happens. If he has total power and total knowledge of everything before it happens, then whatever happens, he's sovereignly allowed. And we don't get to know the reasons, but it's time for us to stop looking at things and being overly worried about it. Control ourselves. He gives us self-control. Self-control is a fruit of the Holy Spirit. It's going to bloom. It's going to be juicy and sweet. It's going to be there for us when we need it. If we allow the Holy Spirit to work in our lives, which means we got to stay in alignment. If you want the Holy Spirit to really work in you, you got to stay in alignment. And then the fruit will be there when you need it. You'll be able to control yourself and stop worrying about your circumstances. Number five, decide that you're not responsible for what others think and feel. One of the people who was on at the very beginning in the warm-up question when I said, um, so what does failure look like or beating yourself up? What is beating yourself up? One person vulnerably, and I say this is so brave, so brave. They put, why do people like me less than they like this person? Why do they like me less than this person? I have been there. I totally get it. I just want to say we can decide we're not responsible for what they think. They're allowed to like that person more. Remember God gave them a tiny piece of creation to take care of, and nobody knows how to be them except them. And if they choose to like someone more than someone else, well, they can. You're not responsible for them, but you're responsible for you. And we're not going to decide whether it's right to like some people better than others. That's a discussion that would take too much of our time and it wouldn't produce anything important today. Just realize you can't change their mind. So what I've done is in the past, when somebody liked somebody else more than me, or I felt like they didn't like me enough, I tried to change the situation. I'm like, I can convince them. I can be more whatever. I can be what, what they need. I can be more. For them to like me. I know they will. If I can just do this, I know they'll like me. I know, I know, I know. I believe they will. Guys, what others think and feel is none of your business. That's their tiny piece of creation to cultivate. Whether they're right or wrong, that's between them and the Lord. And the Lord does a great job of convicting people if we would stop interrupting. If the Holy Spirit knows how to speak to people, but most of the time... We're like really giving them too much to listen to. We're interrupting him. He's already speaking. People can hear one voice at a time. Let it be God's, please, because he's the most effective one in the room to speak. 
And also you need to know that what others think and feel is 100% about them. It's 100%. So if they don't like you, it's because of them. It's not because of you. I know someone that doesn't have qualities that are easy for me to like. And if I choose not to like that person, it's 100% me that's choosing it because I'm withholding unconditional love from that person. They don't have qualities that are easy for me to like. Therefore, I'm going to withhold unconditional love from them and make them meet my conditions for likability. Whose fault is that? Is that this person's? Or is it mine? God calls me to unconditional love. So if I choose not to, it's 100% about me. Flip it. You are thinking, if I just meet this person's conditions, they'll love me. If I just meet their conditions, they'll like me. No, no, no. That is their fault. Because they were called to unconditional love too. And if they're not offering you unconditional love, it's about them. It's not about you. Which means if you met every condition they could still not like you. If you met every condition they could still not love you. There's nothing you can do to earn unconditional love. They are supposed to be giving it to you. And if they're not, that's between them and God. I am supposed to be giving it to people. And if I'm not, that's between me and God. People don't need to try to earn it. Here's the thing. If somebody looks at me and they dislike, some people send me messages they don't like what I put on Facebook or Instagram. If they send me a message and say they don't like it, that's 100% about them. They can choose not to like it. I am just being myself. I'm not gonna change what I'm doing. If they choose not to like it, it's up to them. But here's the thing. For those of you who do like what I put on Facebook and Instagram, that's 100% about you. I am just being me. Uh, same as if someone likes it and if they don't like it. I'm just being me. That means if you like me, if you like what I produce, that's because you choose to like me. It's about you. It's not about me being likable. It's about you deciding to like me. I know this sounds Wacky, it's not. Whether somebody thinks positive of you or negative of you, it's all about them because it's all in their minds. The same exact result, the same exact person viewed by two different other people could be liked or disliked. And this didn't change. Do you realize I didn't change? From the person who told me recently they didn't like what I was writing and from you who say you do like what I'm writing, I'm just being the same. So it's not about me. It's about the two of you. Does that make sense? If I'm 100% myself and I'm just doing what I can do, if one person likes me and one person hates me, that's about them. So I can't really take the positive compliments too deeply because they're really about you. They're really about your sweetness, your kindness. The positive compliments that you give are not really about me. They're really about you and your willingness to be kind and loving and caring and to see good in others. It's because you see good in others that you can say that you like me. So 
here's a probing question for those of you who say they just don't appreciate me. They just don't value me. How can others value you when you don't value you? There was a time in my life where I actually said this to somebody. I felt like I was being mistreated and I go, hey, you know what? I'm valuable. I don't like the way you're treating me. You're treating me like I'm not valuable, but I'm valuable. And what a pitiful thing to say. <laughs> I realize that now because I, I left and went, I said that because I was not invited to a party. I was like, I, I belong at that party. I belong with those people. I belong. I'm valuable. And I thought, now I realize, I thought I wasn't being loved when really I didn't love myself. I thought my value as a contributing person wasn't being seen. I wasn't invited. I didn't value myself enough not to make a pitiful comment. <laughs> you guys, let other people make decisions, whether they invite you. And we're heading into the holiday season where you might not get some invitations that you thought you were going to get. You might find out people were hanging out without you. You might see pictures of gatherings where you were not included. And all I can say is that's 100% about them. You choose to value yourself. You choose to value yourself. And I believe that can be reflected later in what other people see. But still, it's just about them. So I love this verse, Proverbs 19.8. He who gets wisdom loves his own soul. And he who keeps understanding will find good. you got to search for good if you're going to find it. So I think this is interesting. He who searches for wisdom who really tries to get wisdom, that's the, one of the most loving things you can do for your soul. Like the fact that you're here, instead of watching something trashy, you're deciding instead to invest in your soul this way. It's because you love wisdom. You love your soul deep down. You're seeking out wisdom. That's why you chose to be on a Facebook Live where somebody was talking about the Bible. It's because you love wisdom and that in turn, you love your own soul. But I also think that this can be flipped. Those who are wise do love themselves. Arrogance is thinking, I am better than you. Loving yourself is saying, I am good because God says I am. Let me just remind you, self-love, self-love is okay because it's saying, I am good because God says I am. I am worth loving because God loves me. And it's arrogance that says, I am good because I'm better than you. That's different. That's completely different. Those who are wise don't put themselves down. Those who are wise love their own soul. Stop thinking that it's wise to put yourself down. It's, it's not wise. And here's something else that stood out to me as being applicable. Mark 12, 31, Jesus' own words, love your neighbor as yourself. A lot of times people get mixed up because they think, I don't care about myself, but I love everybody else. Jesus might say that's not possible. You you may think, oh, I, I love, I put, put myself last, I put others first, I... You're mistreating yourself as you try to love the world. 
And God says, no, 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 no. I'm asking you to love the world, to love other people the way that you love yourself. So ultimately, you won't love other people well if you don't know how to love yourself. You take care of this tiny piece of creation, and then you can take care of the rest of creation. Because God made all those people out there, and you can love those people as his perfect creation, but only after you take care of this tiny piece of creation. Because it's not right for you to, to love the world and never love yourself, the one thing he gave you authority over it. You can do both. Love your neighbor as you love yourself. Here's something that is, I mean, mind-blowing to me. You are your own media producer. So we always talk about like being careful what you consume, what media you consume. I would assert that your own voice is the most important. You can produce what you want to produce for yourself. You can choose to put Bible verses in prominent places. Uh, just take a verse out that's, that's edifying to you. Put it on your refrigerator. Put it on your dashboard. Repeat it out loud to yourself and produce the right kind of media for yourself because you know whose voice you trust more than any other? Your own. Think about it. Here's God himself saying that you're good and you don't believe that. You say you're bad and you believe that. Here's God himself saying that he's created you perfectly with no flaws, that he, that he loves you perfectly at least. Well, yeah, sure, we're all, we all have our abilities to make mistakes, but he's saying... I love you in spite of them. And you say, no, I'm not loving. I'm not, I'm not trustworthy or I'm worthy of love. I'm not worthy of love. And God himself is speaking, but whose voice do you believe? Your own. So stop thinking if I had somebody love me enough, like why don't they love me? Stop thinking that that would be enough for you. You see what I'm saying? Here we are. We're like, I wish they loved me. I wish they loved me. I wish they liked me. It would not be enough for you. If God's voice saying that he loves you is not enough for you, then that person's voice is not going to be enough for you. They might say it every day till they're blue in the face, but the one you're going to believe is your own voice. You're your own media producer. You tune into your own channel. There's all these channels I hear that you could be listening to, watching, and they're all available to you, but you keep turning back to your own channel. And it doesn't matter what, your parents say about you. It doesn't matter what your spouse says about you. It doesn't matter what your kid says about you. If they could say that they love you and they adore you, but you're like, I'm listening to my channel. My channel says I'm not good enough. What? So do you see, it doesn't matter if you found all new people to, to speak life over you, all new people to love you. If you were not producing that message, you wouldn't even hear when they did. So it's not about them. If you've written down any nugget on your sheet of paper, on your notes, if you've been writing nuggets on your phone, if you've been thinking, oh, I'm gonna get somebody, I'm gonna pass this on to, I'm gonna forward this to somebody. Listen, if this is just one lesson. I have so much more for you. I have so much more for you. And I prepared it all for January 8th, 2021. That's a one day transformation 
that's available to you at the Keep Going Workshop. From 8 a.m. to 5 p.m., we are just going to dive into what God says about us, how we can access his power. It's the ultimate plug-in to what he has for us. So if you are ready to join us at the Keep Going Workshop, please go to nikamaples.com and click on events. There are nine squares on my website. One of them is events. That'll take you to where you can find out more about the Keep Going Workshop. Everything that you need to know is there. We even have an FAQ section and a place where you can send your individual questions. If we haven't answered your question, send us anything you want. We want to hear from you. Thank you for your attention today. And I'll see you at the next at the next Facebook Live I do. Step two, how to take a look around at your life and take that personal inventory that is so important if you're going to move forward and set goals. Thank you for your time today. I love you, friends. We'll talk soon. Until then, keep going. me a clean heart, oh God. Wisdom in the secret heart. Wisdom in the secret heart.